Hey everyone, how you doing? This is Simon Green, the Green Bay Packers all-time leading rusher, and you're listening to The Average Cheese, hosted by Dell and Todd, two lifelong Packer fans talking about their favorite team, the 13-time champion, Green Bay Packers. Go Pack Go! So welcome to episode 112 of the Average Cheese Podcast. Peter and I are here with a special guest today. Thanks to Rhonda and the folks at RM Management. Thanks to Dwight at DDGCustoms.com. And thanks to Dan and the folks at Bob Anderson Builders. Peter, I will let you introduce our amazing guest today. Oh, it's a great pleasure to introduce our special guest, Mike Wall. Thanks, Mike, for being here. It's really appreciated so much. Mike, of course, was an outstanding player for the Packers from 98 to 2004, I think I'm right, and also played with Carolina Panthers, was an all-pro and a year with Seattle. I was a second-round pick of the Packers in the supplemental draft in 98 out of the Naval Academy. And interestingly enough, we had a question on this podcast just a couple of weeks ago talking about who were the best players in the NFL or who had played in the NFL out at the service academies. And after Roger Starback, the next name on our list was was Mike. So it's it's wonderful to have Mike here. Yeah, I should mention, I guess, and we can we talk about this again later, but Mike's the owner of Process to Perform and the host of the, the, the My Block podcast. On My Block. On My Block podcast. Fantastic. So thank you so much for being here, Mike. It's really, really appreciated. Oh, thank you, guys. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's uh, it's always fun to talk to Packers, Packer fans from all over the world. I, I see the London flag behind you. What, what yeah. part of London you in? So I'm just um, about 20 miles, 20 miles north of London. Uh, so I used to, I lived in Marleybone. Like I lived literally above Baker Street Station for two years. Yeah. Wow. Actually, I wow. lived across the street. There's a Globe pub across the street from Baker Street Station. I lived on the second level where I could hear them changing the kegs out on Tuesday mornings at 5.30 a.m. <laughs> I, and I absolutely adored well, it. I loved every minute of it. Well, that's so cool. So I'm, I'm actually out, out out of the city, about 20 miles north. Oh, that's so cool. Never knew that. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's re- right there in Regent's Park, man. I, I, I can't get enough of that place. So, Mike, how did the name Process to Perform come about? And what does your company do? I mean, they train athletes, but how does that all work? A great qu- So I, I think it probably came about um, because we're such an outcome-based society. And as I, you know, as I look back at my career, as I look back at the things I've accomplished uh, on and off the field and things that, you know, you're always working towards um, and then taking that back and having, having children of my own, working with some of these professional athletes that I work with, the process of development, I guess, you know, if, if you can change your mindset as an athlete, as a coach, as even, you know, members of, of the organization, if you can change your mindset from always outcome-based, always living in fear uh, and, and making decisions based on fear. When I when you say outcome-based, to me, that just means you're making decisions based on fear because you're not doing what's right. You're doing what's right in the moment. And so process to perform was just a an, an idea that I had years ago about creating really the blueprint for athletes to become the best versions of their self. That, you know, for a lot of elite guys, that means they're going to go to the National Football League, the NBA, Major League Soccer. But for others, yeah, that's mean just being the best on your high school team or getting into college. We have some scholarship kids and, and some, some walk-on football players as well. 
But we focus on three things, technical mastery, mindset development, and ownership decisions. And for me, when I look back at, at my career and, and the things that got me over the hump and then working as a coach and, and a skill development specialist and, at, with the Miami Dolphins for years before I got into this, I really started seeing where the breakdowns were and they were all on the process side. You know, they, everything was based on how do we make decisions in the short term to keep us you know, to keep our jobs, to, to, to keep everybody happy instead of really focusing on what mattered most, laying the foundation to be successful over the long term. So that's the, I, I guess, the, the impetus for, for process to perform. And, and it's been um, it's certainly been fun just to be able to reconnect and work with athletes at, at every level, inspiring athletes to professional. But, you know, you sure get a kick out of watching the guys that are when you work with really good athletes. It's really fun to the input versus output is just so it's it's so great, right? So if I can give I can give a little bit of input, tweak a certain thing in the process during that preparation week, and you can see it almost immediately because they're such phenomenal athletes. So it's been better. It, it's probably I get more out of it than the, than the athletes do. That's for sure. I, I love working with them. How would that work in the NFL or a major league sport where everything is a now, now, now thing? How do you get this mindset across to athletes, knowing they're going to go into that environment where they have to perform? right now or like you said lose their jobs it's already on the table like the outcome's already on the table there's nothing you can do about it you can't really do what anybody's going to say about you on twitter you can't do anything about the fact that you know like let's just take the position of offensive line because that's what i played so there's 22 people on the field i can have a really good rep and, and and my coach could give me a minus right i could lose that rep or in the media guy the guy who's broadcasting the show on fox could say that i gave up a sack when i didn't I had the guy locked out. The quarterback ran into me because somebody else. So I, there's 21 other people on the field that affect whether or not you say I did well or not. I don't think that's any way to live, right? It's very simple. And I, I'm not going to live that way. I never did. When you focus on the process of, of how to become the best version of yourself, you understand that that's a, a longer term look. Certainly every week you're tested, but the, the testing is part of it, right? You, you, you test, you identify, you assess, you correct, and you retest. That's what any development cycle is all about. And we just do, we just expedite that by really understanding what the fundamentals of each sport, you know, the positional requirements of whatever sport you're playing. It could be basketball, soccer, football, rugby, doesn't really matter. If it's a confrontational sport, we can figure out what your skill is. We can figure out what the positional requirements are. We can break that down from complex ideas into very, very simple movement patterns and decisions. We can help you become the best version of that. And once you do that, I mean, I'll tell you what, guys, honestly, you watch Green Bay Packers football all the time, and it, you know, it looks like they're running all these different schemes and everything's, you know, it's all about offensive scheme now, and these coordinators getting head coaching jobs. And man, if you just have a team out there that's well coached, like they're the best of the basics of the sport, they can block and tackle really well, they're smart, they don't make pre-snap uh, miscues, you're going to go to the playoffs every year. The talent gap in the National Football League or any of these pro, these pro leagues is really small. Like the bandwidth of talent is actually really small. There's a couple of outliers, right? There's a couple guys, but the bandwidth is actually really small. So it's whoever can actually perform their just the basic responsibilities of their job at the highest level. And I'm just talking about mastering your technique, having a great foundational knowledge of what is required, and then creating routines that develop the habits that are going to help you be successful in life. Like simplest stuff in the world. You go to any other business, like major, major industry in the probably on the planet, and they're doing this stuff. We just don't do it in sports very well. So I just came in and changed the bottle. Let's talk a little bit about this crazy wildcard weekend. Question that came up for you was about this Chargers 27-0 and blowing that lead. As a professional athlete, if you're a member of the Chargers today as a player or as a coach, however you want to mm -hmm. think about this, how do you come back from that? How do the Chargers come back for that? How does Staley come back from that? What, what are your thoughts on that 
I, it's a great question because things start – you know, what I one thing you have to say about that game, though, is it started so bad for Doug P and, and Lawrence that you almost thought, okay, this is going to rubber band because right. the Chargers – you know, listen, I, I'm, you know, Chargers do Charger things, right? Like, they do. I was in, I was a, I'm a San Diego guy, and, and they've, they're notorious for that for years. They had the most talented team of the, of the 2000s, and, and I think they won like two playoff games. I mean, it's just – it's – it's a tough franchise from a mindset standpoint for some reason. But when those things happen, this is cliche, but you really have to go back and watch tape and understand why exactly they happened. And it's like if you're, you take it from the coaching standpoint, okay, what? how am I communicating on the sidelines and on the field to my players that are putting them in a position where they don't look like they're ready to make plays anymore? Like what's happening there? Am I – you feel or apply, apply pressure, right? Am I am I feeling the pressure right now or am I applying pressure to my my – my players in the wrong manner is by, by my words, by my actions, by the way I'm reacting, by the plays I'm calling, by the, by the plays I may be not calling, the decisions that I'm not making that I usually would. And then as a player, there's a snowball effect, right? Trevor Lawrence gets the first touchdown and like that, that pebble turns in, you know, starts getting rolling down that hill, gets faster and faster and faster, turns into a boulder. And who's willing to stand in the way? You know, I think one thing that happens in football that people don't understand, like the only real value you have in sports, in competitional sports, at the individual level, the only real value you have is your ability to win a one-on-one matchup, right? You you can scheme all this other nonsense and, you know, you can put people in the right position. That accounts for like 30% of the success of your team. The other 70% is like, can I beat you? If it comes down to it, am I going to beat you? And when you see teams go the other way, it's very simply because I, I started losing and I, I can't get out of my own way. And this is kind of the process to perform idea, right? Like when you have a problem, when you are going like what, how do you cope? Do you understand how to read like external cues? Do you have affirmation statements or mantras that you practice? This? Are you ready for this moment? Do you understand that this is going to happen? Sometimes you know how to react to it. And like clearly the charges didn't, and I, you know, I think you just have to look at it that way. So what can we do as individuals now at the player level and the coach level to come together and never put ourselves in a situation where we can't react to a bad environment again? You know, we talk a lot about momentum, or at least us fans sitting on the couch talk about momentum because the, the commentators talk about it. Is that a real thing that the players feel? Like oh, for when sure. you start you know, when that when, when Jacksonville was starting to come back from twenty seven nothings, twenty seven to seven, twenty seven to fourteen, you think the Chargers players really felt that momentum shift? I think absolutely. I th- it, and it's even worse now. Honestly, I think it's it's so hard for these – listen, the players have the greatest lives in the world. But you can almost see, like, in the back – you can see the gerbil in their mind, like, on the hamster wheel. You can see the hamster wheel just kind of running, going, like, I wonder what they're going to say about us on Twitter. Like, you can almost see it happening, right, on the sidelines with that blank stare. Like, where's their mind really right now? It's like, what are they going to say about us in the papers the next day? What are they going to say, like, when I check my phone at the end of this game, like, People are going to have that play that I just lost. Like it's going to be, it's going to be up like 2000 times on my phone, but you have to deal with all of that. And like to be able to compartmentalize that is easy for us to say, but it's really, really hard to do. And I, you know, that for me, that's why I think momentum is probably more of a real thing now than it ever was. So Mike McCarthy and the Cowboys played Brady's in the Buccaneers tonight. What are your thoughts on Mike McCarthy was a very good coach. It has been said that he doesn't make adjustments. Now, mm-hmm. we, again, sitting on the couch, can make adjustments in our head because during halftime, we have nothing else to do besides go to the refrigerator and get a beer. Right. How much time and how much adjustment can be made during a game? A lot. Okay. A lot. Yeah, a lot. And 
you hear this a lot. Like, why do you want a coordinator instead of a leader? You know, who wants to be your head? If a head coach has staffed his team right, then he has, like in every position, offensive line coach comes in and says, hey, they're beating us here. We got to do this. Tight ends coach says, hey, I see, you know, wide receivers coach says they're playing this. In this coverage, these are the plays that might work. So as you're working, let's say the let's just talk about the offensive staff to make it easy, okay? So the offensive staff, the offense is on the field. They've got a guy charting the looks. They've got a guy calling the plays. They've got a guy reading what their guy, you know, their position, individual positions are doing. And then when that series is over, they're writing notes. Okay, well this this looks good against cover four. They're hey, they're trapping our backside guy on the trips look. So we need to do run, you know, like the Trevor Lawrence go play. It's because they're running cover four ten. They drop the guy down to trap the uh, inside slot on the on the trips look. They take the second slot, run him to the far corner, and it's a touchdown. Okay, so like those those looks are something that they've seen. Now, but you could see that in game and make that adjustment on the sideline. You can make the adjustment at halftime. It's so easy for fans to assign, you know, this like bust of Mike McCarthy as being the, like the the person who can't make adjustments. That's not how it works. Like he's got all this other stuff. It's the response. It really is ultimately his responsibility, right? Ultimate ownership. But it, it comes down to, do you have people or your second lieutenants doing their job and giving them real tangible suggestions or solutions for what you've seen so far? So a coaching staff has to be communicative to the head coach, right? All those things have to fall in place. Yeah. If you're, if you're, let's say you're really like you have a veteran group, like, let's say our offensive line in Green Bay, right? So it was, it was Chad, myself, Mike, Marco, and Mark. Okay. We were there for a long time and we, and we kind of had the trust of everybody because we were pretty good. So we can get on the sideline and Mike Sherman's an O-line coach by trade, right? So we can get on the sideline and I can just go, Hey, Beck to Larry Bechtel. Hey man, there's, I, I, I'm just telling you, I cannot block the person you're asking me to block the way you're asking me to do it. I can't get to that linebacker who's too far over. If you run that play, I'm not going to get there and you're going to, it's not going to work. And then he can go to Mike and say, stop running the play. It doesn't work anymore. You know, he's not going to, or let's make the adjustment because most of those plays have, if if you're going to do X, I'm going to do Y, right? So they can start making those adjustments. So like the best, the best thing to do, because the players, if you have a mature group, then the players can actually start making these changes on the sidelines by having a great communication or having good communication skills with the coach. That doesn't work in every scenario, especially with younger guys. But ideally, it would be, okay, this is what I'm seeing. Now the coach takes that information and that's their job, right? They process it and they find a solution. Now you have to communicate that solution up the chain, whether it's your offensive, defensive coordinator, right to the head coach. Can we move on to questions with friends? Because I love this question we got for you, Mike. So as a player, your favorite memory of a play that you made in a playoff game. So you played, I think, nine playoff games with the Packers. and mm-hmm. A favorite play of yours that you made. A favorite play in a playoff game? Um, gosh, you know, well, I had a couple – we had a couple – I had a really good memory of – but it was with Carolina. But there was a couple good memories. And we went up to Chicago and beat, and beat them to go to, to go to the NFC Championship. But – I, my first game was actually – it wasn't me, but I, we're playing San Francisco 49ers. And I remember Dana Stubblefield and Bryant Young were the uh, defensive tackles, and they were really good. And Dana was just coming off of um, – I think he was just coming off a of defensive player of the year, right? And I mean, he plays over me. And we had the same agent at the time. So I didn't, this is unbeknownst to me, right? This is before all of his other stuff, which is ugly. My agent calls me, and, you know, and he goes, hey, man, do you want to know how to block Dana Stubblefield? And I go, you know, I go, well, sure. Well, what a great idea. Thanks. You know, and he goes, just watch the Dallas tape. He can't play against Dallas. He plays really poorly. So I go, 
Okay. So, I, you know, of course I go in and turn on the Dallas tape, but I forget that it's Larry Allen in his prime. And so, <laughs> and so Dana Summerfield is literally run, actively running away from Larry Allen because Larry Allen has a 700 pound bench press, right? So he just destroyed. So I, I call my agent back. I go, listen, you can talk money with me all the time. Never talk to me about football again. I, I just can't, I'm not that guy and I never will be. Um, but that first game, I think against uh, against San Francisco, that first playoff game, we got the victory. That was just, um, you know, man, I grew up a California kid, and, and San Francisco 49ers were kind of it. And uh, and being able to play against those guys at a high level in the playoffs would have mean something in Lambeau Field. That was that was pretty gnarly. Um, but the stuff that you remember, unfortunately, is like I remember the fourth and twenty six game more than anything. Right. It's, that's the game. You, we, I remember the fourth and one on the goal line. I remember the fourth and one that we didn't go for it when uh, we had a back. Mike Flanagan and I had a back. We ran for 200 plus yards that game. Mike Flanagan and I had a backup D tackle against us. And uh, we were screaming, screaming at Brett to hike the ball. And we would just double team him to the moon and the game would be over. But um, Brett did what he was supposed to do. He followed, you know, Mike Sherman's instructions, and and Mike did what he thought was right at the time. Although I, I I'm sure now he would probably see it differently. I remember that probably better than anything. I'm wired that same way. I tend to remember <laughs> the negatives rather than the positives. I'm still working on that at my age, yeah. trying to balance that all out. The hard part is when you're when you're a football player, especially when you're a lineman. I found this now with other sports is we don't celebrate victories. We we just hate we hate losing. We hate bad plays. And so, like my son plays soccer, foot, you know, football. They'll lose the ball. And my my daughter, they, they they lose the ball during the game. The other team, it's you fifty percent possession on each side, which means you're basically turning the ball over every you know twenty seconds. And it just drives me insane. And I and, the, and the, you're you're just playing through these like there's these moments of glory where they have a great passing combination or a slide or a, or a, God forbid they score a goal and you go. Oh, it's it's, it's you know that that part that's wonderful. But the other ninety eight or eighty eight <laughs> minutes was was absolutely garbage and it's like they go like no that that's the game like that's you got to take chances you lose the ball that's what happens and it's it's hard for especially as an offensive lineman man it's hard to deal with that isn't it funny how you know certainly as Packers fans you know all the great games all the great victories all the great plays the things we remember are fourth and 26 we remember Jerry Rice's fumble you know those are the yeah. things that we Scott McGarrahan Scott McGarrahan yeah. was my guy it was my rookie year so Scott, Matt Hasselbeck, and I, back then on Fridays, they used to sit down five guys. So they'd take 53-man roster and they'd reduce it, I think, 48 or 47, right? I can't remember if it's five yeah. or six. But on Friday, they'd say, you're, you're not traveling, like you're done. And we were all rookies and everything. And so we would go, we'd go to the Stadium View bar and we'd drink on Saturdays and watch the games. And, you know, Sunday, we'd go play flag football. We were just idiots, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and then Scott got called up. And Matt, Matt figured out that if you learned how to read, if you learned how to steal the plays from the other sideline, he, he got, so he started traveling. So I'm, now I'm sitting by myself. <laughs> and, uh, and then Scotty makes that great play on Jerry Rice and they don't give him the call. Yeah. Scotty and I were neighbors, though. We hung out a lot back in the day. He was a good, good very, very good guy and, and good player. Yeah, not not only do you remember like those types of moments, but I can actually remember like where I was too. <laughs> it, it's it's funny. like I can remember it, the exact place I was. You know, like was was I in a bar? Was I at home? All those types of details. Like Mike, I'm kind of a history guy, so I guess being a Packers fan kind of ties in nicely nicely with that. And my best friend in football was Red Cochran, who was a scout when you were with the Packers and and and. You know, like I say, Red and Pat were, were were my best friends, and I just wondered. And there may be nothing in this. I don't. I, I don't know. When you came to the Packers, was the history of the Packers, the Lombardi era, Lambo, and all of that stuff, something that you were 
aware of or made aware of or is it just some some fantasy that us fans have it's probably different now because remember like i got drafted in 1998 i'm i'm a california kid you know this is back when you had 12 channels on your television <laughs> so i grew i grew up watching whoever's on you know the west coast football teams i, I grew up watching pack 10 foot not pack 12 but pack 10 football yeah and you know you're kind of looking at the ocean every day so you know so Everything to the right of you, you don't really know what's going on, you know. So sure. if, you, if you had asked me at some point, you know, where you put Green Bay on a map, I'm not sure I would have been able to do it. Now I knew I'm I'm not a fool. I was, you know, playing college football. I knew that Green Bay was had just been to the Super Bowl and 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 beaten the Patriots. I knew that at the time they just lost the, the Denver Broncos. Brett Favre was a three-time MVP. Reggie White, the Minister of Defense. Like I knew all these guys. But to say that I was just this huge Packers fan, all the you know was would probably be overblown. I'll tell you flat out, Mike Holmgren was probably the most like when you say who is larger than life as far as the people I, I I thought of, it was Mike Holmgren for whatever reason. It wasn't a player; it was him. He, he just and I think it's because he got propped up in the Super Bowl. You never see coaches get propped up anymore. You know, he's like running around with people's shoulders. I think that's why. But I always thought I was like, oh, Mike, yeah, Green Bay Packers, Mike Holmgren for whatever reason, but. Then you get there and you realize, like, holy hell, you're in rare, rare company around in in, Lam in Lambeau Field and that locker room in particular with all of those great players and culture leaders and everything they had going on there, man. I mean, you you really in 1998, I don't know if you can get drafted to a better football team. When was the last time you were back at Green Bay or in Lambeau? Um, last year, last year. Yeah, they yeah they uh, they do a, such a good job with alumni. If you want to go, you know, go up there, I'll invite you up there. You sign some autographs, go sit in the Go around tailgate with some guys. It's amazing. Uh, I don't know if you guys have experienced it, but you know, like literally, right? It's, it's in a neighborhood, so like literally right next door. Right. There's yep. chain link. There's like a four foot chain link fence, and and then literally across the street or across mm -hmm. the chain link houses. fence, there's rows yeah. of houses, and they're tailgating in those houses now. I think ESPN Wisconsin bought three of them and merged them into one. So you have these big tent parties, and yep. there's a beer garden in the middle of the uh, of the uh, of the of the parking lot. They've, I think it's like I think they've expanded the the stadium since I played there, probably fourteen, fifteen thousand seats. You know, it's mm -hmm. listen. The, they don't have an owner. My kid was asking me this this question this morning because the Packers don't have an owner. He's like, "What do they do with all the money?" And I go, "They actually they spend it on the stadium. Like they yeah. spend it. They they just keep renovating the in the facilities for the players. Are just probably you know, I, I can't say for sure, but they've got to be the nicest in the in the league. It's just amazing what they've done there." Yeah, they've done a lot of things with that new revenue stream with all the stuff outside of stadium too. Like they've done a great job as an organization building for the future where there's always going to be this stream of money coming in, even when if they lose money on the field, so to speak. They're in a great place. To ask you this question because we don't get to talk to NFL athletes very often. How did you know when you had the ability to be an NFL player? Now you came from the Naval Academy, which is not the normal route. Mm -hmm right mm -hmm. to go to the nfl so did you know going to navy that this was a career path that you thought you might take i tell people this and, and it sounds like it's i when i say it now i'm just going to tell you it sounds incredibly naive when i was a kid this is what i was going to do there wasn't there wasn't a plan b everyone's you know what's your plan b I was, there wasn't a plan b both my parents were teachers when i was young i was a you know straight a student and i could you know you gotta you, you give your teacher the Oh, I guess I'll go be a doctor or look, man, they were, all I wanted to do was play pro sports. I don't want anything else in the world. And so even when I, when I was not getting recruited by, you know, USC or any of these programs in Southern California, and I wasn't even a good football player, to be honest with you, 
But even when I went, when, when I went to the Academy, I just thought, I remember coach Weatherby was there and he said, Oh, you know, we're going to figure out ways to let our guys get into the pros. And I just, and I, it was literally as simple as, Oh, okay. Like I was that naive. I just went, Oh, I guess that's what I'll do then. Through a crazy confluence of events, it ended up working out. But I wrote a paper in like third grade, man, when, when they, Hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? And, uh, I said I wanted to be a, a professional athlete, and my teacher gave me my paper back and was like, "No, you need to do something more realistic." And I, and I told the teacher I was in third grade. I was like, "I'll take the bad grade. Like this is what I'm doing. This is my paper. Yeah, yeah. This this is it. Yeah, it's crazy to think about because she's probably I never, it's, like, it's like I just I just never thought I wouldn't do it. You know what I mean? And, and again, it was like it was crazy naive. I wasn't a great athlete. I just never thought it just never crossed my mind I wasn't going to do it. That's awesome. I also thought I was going to be a professional athlete, Mike, but. That never came yeah, about. I should have been listening to my teachers, unlike you, who made it happen. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about the 22-23 season. So the first one is, is not a hard one, but it's, it, it's interesting to us because we see Elton Jenkins playing all over this offensive line. Zach Tom, as a rookie, has played guard, center, and tackle for the Packers. How difficult is it to move spots on the line even to move from one side of the line to the other. It's harder to move across the center than it is from guard to tackle or tackle to guard. It's definitely harder to put your other, your hand in the ground. Like they did a really bad job with Elton Jenkins coming back. It just didn't make any sense. We, I said in our show from day one, you, know, you, you, don't, you don't take a guy who's only in his like third or fourth year in the league and is just kind of coming into his own and coming off an ACL injury, serious rehab, and just say not only are you going to play – tackle now instead of guard which you know i think i think you went to a pro bowl as a guard but we're also going to put you at right tackle across the line where you have all these different looks and you know different you know essentially you know it's like trying to it's like trying to eat with chopsticks with your opposite hand man like it's it's not you got to learn how to do it and so to come off the injury and everything it was just a really bad idea um which i think they you know luckily they corrected i think in time put him back at left guard but you know, it kind of slowed his development process i think coming off at acl zach tom's a different story because zach doesn't really know anything yet right he's just a young talent and sure. he doesn't have a position necessarily i'm sure he, i know he played left tackle in college but honestly the techniques in college and and, and what he was asked to do there are probably a lot different than what he's going to be asked to do in green bay or anywhere else he ends up you know it's just like you don't have that like ten thousand hours you're not an expert in any particular thing at that point i think for a guy like zach tom the more you can do the better because it's just different experience different looks you can take different techniques and kind of apply them to different places and you're going to understand like what footwork and what's, you know, it's like body position, everything, what works against different kind of players. I think that'll help you be a better athlete. I know it helped me in the long term when I was younger, but I think when you're going through it, it feels very difficult because the speed of the game changes. Obviously, the physicality of the game changes when you move inside. And, you know, there's just like your, your spatial awareness and, and your kicks and everything. Everything has to be like if you don't have if you don't have a really good foundational technique and they're moving you all over the board it basically is like the equivalent of you going out there and learning something new every single snap. And like, it's really, really hard way to operate if, if you're in the middle of a game and there's millions of people watching and you're trying to learn something new every damn time they snap the ball because you're in a different position. It's, it's, it's a tough ask. That, that's got to impact too is the offensive line as a unit, right? I mean, everybody yeah. kind of switching around back and forth. They never really, at least it seemed this year in comparison to years past, it just seemed like they never really, you never really knew who was going to be next to you from week to week. That's got to impact the, you know, the overall development of the line too, right? 
It certainly does. Um, well, so, like obviously, for what reason we talk about it, it affects those individuals. But then you start thinking about the guys that are there. All like Josh Myers is probably the easiest one to look at, right? So, yeah. Josh Myers, you know, John Rennie Jr. I think started on the left and ended up moving to the right when they moved Elton. But you think of Josh Myers just being like the guy who was in the same position for the entire year, and he regressed this year technically. Yeah, um, he he probably did that for a number of reasons. Stenovich is not the coach anymore. They had a new coach in there, that room. So you know, I can I can I can just close my eyes, take a guess, and say they're not working on the same stuff or not working with the same detail. But he's also dealing with multiple guys on different sides, and you know, people hit different. People get into double team blocks different. People. Yesterday is a great example. The Minnesota Vikings, the left guard for the Minnesota Vikings doesn't help and slam his shoulder into uh, Dexter Lawrence against you know, Garrett Bradbury in the center. And the dude's getting forklifted every play. And it's like, well, why aren't you hitting him with your shoulder and stopping his momentum? And, and if you're the center and you go against and you have that left guard and then next week somebody different, maybe he slams it like you don't know what to expect. Well, you don't really know how to set anymore because you can't trust the people around you. And it's like it's easy for me to say, oh, yeah, I trust him. I know he's a good player. But for me to trust him and know, like Mike Flanagan knew that if we had this two jet called and they had a nose tackle, that nose tackle wasn't getting off the line of scrimmage because I was going to slam him. And then all he had to do was reset lockout and the game was over. Right. And so you have that kind of trust because he, I, and I know if, uh, if I'm, if the same token, if I have a tooth technique, I know that I can overset him. I'm going to hit him as hard as I can because if he goes inside, Mike's going to lock him out. And so you have that kind of trust. It's like knowing if I screw up, I'm okay. That's really what we're looking for uh, on the offensive line. It's really hard to develop that if you're just kind of, you know, platooning guys in there in and out. That kind of answers the question. One of the questions we had was, why is this line not significantly worse, but it was worse this year than it was last year. Now we know about the area coming back off of injury, Je- Elton Jenkins coming back off of injury. We can't ignore that, but are mm-hmm. there other things that we haven't talked about that might lead to a regression from last year to this? If you guys looked at like the last, I don't know, probably every game this season, but if you just went and watched the 49ers game versus the Seahawks, like that's supposed to be the same system, right? It looks completely different than what we're running. And, Listen, they have Trent Williams, and he's all pro. The rest of their offensive line, I'm not. You're not going to sit here and take any one of them over any one of our guys. Maybe McGlinchey, maybe the maybe the right tackle, maybe, maybe the rest of them. You wouldn't take any of them over our guys, and they look like all pros because of the way that they set everything up, and they have guys like George Kittle and Yush, Kyle Yuschek, right, who can literally are battering Rams. They got George Kittle had two catches, and Yuschek had one catch yesterday. No carries for either of them. So they touched the ball three times. They are the, they're the, have the biggest impact on that team. So it's not, my point is, it's not necessarily that the Green Bay Packers offensive line regressed. Like Aaron Jones had a good year when he got the ball. He just didn't get the ball very much. AJ Dillon had a good year running the ball when he got, you just didn't get the ball very much. But when you get in situations where you're putting an offensive line, you know, blocking five on five, blocking four on five, putting them in situations where you're not getting the help, the scheme, that you need, then now your technical flaws, because they aren't as good technically as they were last year. And that's a lot of it has to do with just the people that cycled through, but the stuff that they are good at, like you're not accentuating, you're not, we're not doing a great job of accentuating their good. And, and that unfortunately allows other teams to unmask the core of their, uh, of their game. And do you think Mike, that that's part of the reason or perhaps the whole the reason I'm not sure of the red zone difficulties that the Packers had in this past season? Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny. If you looked at, I think we're like last in goal to go, first in goal to go. I think we're like last yeah. place, right? Yeah. And yeah. Um, well, so there's a lot of that as a tight end position. We're just not, we're not 
utilizing Tunyon like we did in years past. I know he came off the injury, but usually when you go down there, you start thinking like, well, if you have a tight end, that's going to open up some stuff. You know, you start just playing the mind, the numbers game with the safeties. We didn't really have a go-to guy until Christian Watson popped out, you know, six teams left to go in the season. So if you're just talking about a threat, if you look at all these other teams that are really good in the red zone, what do they all have? They all have speed, right? Like, we're, And you go like, okay, well, where's our speed? Well, you don't really have it except for Aaron Jones. Like he's the only fast guy on the field until Watson comes back. And then you start looking at well, goal-to-go situations until the last game against the Lions when they did run the ball twice and got stuffed both times. It was, it was embarrassing. They got outplayed by the defensive tackles of the Lions, who I, I'll bet none of us can name them. Like yeah. the, their names, the starting D tackles, right? They, no, they we completely said that exact thing us. last week. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so except for that, you know, it was usually throw the ball, throw the ball, throw the ball, kick a field goal. So when you got down there, I think by formation, by personnel, and just the demeanor of different people, like if you watch the tape, just the demeanor of different people, are they going to be running and passing the ball right now? I don't know if it was that difficult for teams to figure out what was going on. And, you know, they just have to be able, you know, the first, first and foremost, if you want to be a really, really good offensive football team, uh, up front, if you want to see if you're well coached, it's like you have to be good at double teams and you have to be good at passing off games. And you just ask yourself, can this team do that at a high level? Until the answer is resoundingly yes, just keep working. Just keep it as simple as possible. Let all the other skill positions do all the George Kittle use check things and get this team really good up front at just winning on your double teams and just breaking even on your single blocks. And if you can do that, you can do whatever you want in the passing game and the running game. And that's what we saw against Detroit, right? They just controlled both sides of the line of scrimmage. It was basically that simple. They're not a more talented team than the Packers. They just played that game up front. Yeah, I would I would say up front they're more talented than us. Uh, off, their offensive line's be- much better than ours. I mean, they're the, one of the better offensive lines in the league. Our defense played well in that game, though. I mean, you know, really, they, they did play. They couldn't stop when they had to. And there's, you know, think about the fourth down calls and, you know, why are our guys playing eight yards off when it's fourth and one and fourth and two? It's a it's a question that you have to live <laughs> with. But I thought defensively they, they played well enough to win. You know, you listen, you're going to miss some – like, we're not a good tackling. There's a lot of stuff you can go, like, well, we're not good at this. Okay, you limited them to that point total. Like, you feel like the Green Bay Packers at home should win the game. The, the fact is we go out there and just don't really play well on offense. You know, as as as, as, a, as you look at the totality of the entire game, we don't really play well on offense. Way too many times you get down the red zone and you have to kick a field goal. That I think that first goal line stand set the tone for the game. The most surprising thing about that game in particular for me was the Detroit Lions defensive tackle severely outplayed our interior line. And I did, and I, and I'm not saying this to insult them because I'm a huge fan of Dan. I, I know Dan and, and Ben Johnson. I know all those guys from Miami. I think they're great guys and they're good coaches. I'm shocked because I could not, I literally didn't know the names of their defensive tackles before the game. And, you know, just just for the only reason is because when I did my like preview breakdown, it wasn't even a thought in my head that they would compete because I saw the way that they got beat in the games prior. But they just right. completely outplayed us. Sixty four million dollar question is where do the Packers go with the quarterback position? You don't have to answer this, Mike. <laughs> yeah, that's I mean, you knew well, it was coming. <laughs> it's a great question. I, I'll say it as simple as this. Aaron Rodgers continues to write checks for the majority of the people that work in that building. He had a bad year this year by his standards, but the amount of zeros and commas that he is responsible for, not only for the other players, not only for Greg Jennings, Donald Driver, I mean, uh, Jermichael Finley, all the, you know, TJ, uh, TJ Lang, he's responsible in, in large, in, not directly, but, you know, for a large, you don't have, you don't make the kind of money without him that kind of success. You don't have that kind of success without him. Goody. Yeah. 
isn't in the position he's in without Brett Favre and, and Aaron Rodgers. Like he, Goody's not stupid. He knows that. So the minute you get rid of those guys after after 30 years of Hall of Fame quarterback play, the minute you get rid of that guy, you're on the clock. They're not on the clock right now. And so, so like for me, it's the question is, one, do you feel like you have the best chance to win with Aaron Rodgers? If the answer is yes, then what are we even talking about? And the answer for me is a resounding yes. Jordan Love has shown you nothing. And to, and the other thing is, too, is like Matt LaFleur, Matt LaFleur is a smart – like I have nothing bad to say about Matt LaFleur. I have no idea what kind of coach he is. Because he's how never could you had, know? Right. Yeah. How how could you know what kind of how could you really you I know that they I know that his teams continue to have the same problems every year in and year out. Right. I know that. I know that he doesn't address issues. I know that Keyshawn Nixon is the only reason that this offense scored any points in the last six games. I mean, you really think about it. Like, and they didn't even, they didn't even know he existed until <laughs> ten games into the season. So, like, there's things that I know. I know their special teams wasn't – they were at the bottom of the league in special teams after bringing in Versace until he showed up and they got up to 22, which isn't world beater. Right, right. right? But you t- special teams, tackles, communication, pre-snap stuff on the offensive side. It's all the same problems year in and year out. So, is getting a quarterback that doesn't have all the cachet, all the influence, all the power, is that going to open up? Is that going to let Matt LaFleur you know, spread his wings, so to speak? It might, like it actually might make him a much better coach, but are you willing to take that risk? Or do you want to say, I feel better with the chance of winning Aaron, as long as Aaron can play and he's healthy, the four of us can sit here and talk about how much money he makes and salary cap. And we all know in the back of our heads that it really doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. It's It's not going to affect their ability to acquire and develop talent. It's just not. And for us to keep thinking, you know, well, the salary cap and push it down the road, kicking the can. Who cares? No one cares. Right. If you're good enough to win, you 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 keep them playing because otherwise, you're going to open a can of worms and there's going to be a there's literally Goody might as well literally have a red button that starts a clock a countdown clock because as soon as that happens, everything's exposed and all those guys are going to be judged completely on the merits of what okay. how their guys who they brought in and they developed how they do. We need to leave it right there. <laughs> <laughs> Microphone so th- drop. Exactly. So thanks for listening to episode 112 of the Average Cheese Podcast. Go Pack Go. Go Pack Go. Pack go. go.